Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 7, episode 28. Gil Cabrera and Tony Lee. It's Sunday. It's one of our bi-weekly shows here on uh, Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My name's Lone Sultana, and here each and every week we talk about everything con culture, uh, Comic-Cons, and all the things and stuff and nonsense that we enjoy uh, at those uh, particular shows. We've got two cracking guests who are joining us today. Uh, we have ourselves uh, Gil Cabrera, uh, the former chair of the San Diego Convention Center, and we also have esteemed writer, uh, comics, novels, plays, um, basically if it involves putting one word in front of another, Tony Lee is definitely the, the person hey. who's joined us in that regard. One Hello there. The Sounds like talking. <laughs> <laughs> putting one word in front of another in a competent and appealing fashion. There on you go. Page. You on can page. stick that on, on the page. You can I'm, stick I'm that. having that as a quote. <laughs> you can stick that on a business card. So there we go. Um, it's great to have the pair of you here. Um, we were going to talk to Gil first and then get into Tony, but um, we've decided we're all, we're all good. Well, no, we're all diving in. And, <laughs> of course, if Tony has any questions uh, for Gil as well as we go into... Uh, the Gil, have you watched the film Highlander? I'm going to be from now on all your guests. That's what I want to know. There's a certain standard, for goodness sake. <laughs> Can I just say, because uh, this also came off the back of uh, when we had Rachel Smith on and Tony asked the same question there. Um, she hasn't seen it. I watched it two days ago. It happened to be on, and I watched it. So no, Highlander was definitely on. on I'm, our... I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep ragging her on this because <laughs> literally at the London Spring uh, Convention, I pointed out that Christopher Lambert was there. He was my favourite character, and I showed a picture, and she just looked blankly at me. It was like, who is this old man that you're having photos with? And it, I, I, part of me died when she said this. Even her boyfriend looked at her like. I think we need to break up. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, she still hasn't seen it. She's she's locked in a house. She has no excuse. Just pointing that one out. Love you, Rachel. It's harsh <laughs> but fair. I, I, I could take. I could take it. Um, our, indeed, our neighbours. Uh, Duncan is uh, over Connor. Apparently, uh, no. Just kidding. Apparently, he says. But um, I can see Tony's face instantly just dropping. So, <laughs> <laughs> just leave that one alone. There's okay. a lot of people who like Duncan over Connor. That's because Duncan's had more hours of being a Highlander. You see, so you know. There could be only there could be there could be only one though. I mean, come on. <laughs> and i think we'll agree that with the films as well uh there can be only one um because i i watched the end of highlander and actually thought should i watch highlander 2 and automatically my brain oh, tried jumping no, down my no, throat watch, and... watch highlander 2 the renegade cut the renegade, renegade cut is actually quite good it does explain things in highlander 2 like how does conor mcleod suddenly change from a short coat to a long coat halfway through a fight and things like that because the whole thing was spliced together all over the place well those are the questions i needed to answer well, exactly <laughs> 
Right, so shall we dive into this? Uh, <laughs> well, you'll talk as quickly as possible there. Then. We're not going to talk about Highlander the whole time. That's what I prepared <laughs> for. I suspect Tony would have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, right, so we're going to dive into a whole bunch of sub uh, subjects, obviously, but we'll uh, cover uh, um, a couple of stuff with uh, Gil first. Uh, and I think first is to introduce yourself, because I gave you the, the title there, former chairperson of the San Diego Convention Center. What exactly did that entail? And um, yeah, basically uh, introduce yourself, please, sir. Uh, sure. So I'm a, I'm a San, proud San Diegan, and uh, my, by my day job, I'm a lawyer. Uh, but uh, I was uh, appointed to the uh, Convention Center Board of Directors uh, in 2013 by the then mayor, um, Todd Gloria, and then was uh, essentially on that board for the full six years that you're allowed to be on the board. So I just rolled off in February. Uh, and then for two of those years, um, I was the chair of the board of directors, which, you know, uh, overall responsibilities for the operations of the building and overseeing the amazing management team that is there. Um, so uh, this, uh, it's, you know, as, as we discussed, I think offline a, long, a while ago, this would have been my first Comic-Con off the board. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, so it would have been a very different experience, uh, obviously, but uh, we're still looking forward to it, uh, to at least dropping by. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's my background. Basically, for, for a couple of years there, I was, I was the person kind of in charge of the operations of the building at a, at a policy level. Because I remember the really bad form that you make sure that the one convention after you leave is the one that gets canned. I mean, that's bad form, man. Well, I mean, the, the, the comment I made to the, to the, the, my my former fellow board members was like, geez, I leave in February and the entire <laughs> industry shuts down? I mean, come on. This is how I much left, you did, Gil. This I, is how I much left you must you with this, I left you with this amazing reserve balance and this and the other thing. And, you know, it's just two months. That's all it took. No, no, it's ter terrible, terrible uh, luck, uh, obviously, uh, for, for this industry, which is just, you know, one of the lifebloods of San Diego. So, so it's been a it's been a marvel to watch. I'm glad they're able to use the center to to help the the most vulnerable amongst us in yeah. San Diego. So they were able to shift that, um, and that had obvious benefits for for the employees of the center as well. So was happy with that. But yeah, very 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 sad to when I when you saw it coming and you sort of saw the cancellations as they started stacking up. You know when you when you know the budget uh, of that building the way I do, it was just you know heartbreaking. Well, it speaks volumes about that, uh, considering that, I mean, I saw the press conference uh, with um, uh, Kevin Falkner up on the podium and uh, Rip Ripito as well, uh, talking about the that coming together in 10 days uh, to put that all together to from an idea in somebody's head to actually open up the doors and uh, get the, the, the homeless, uh, like you say, the vulnerable of San Diego actually in the building. That's That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad you recognize that there there are there are folks you know there, there's always the naysayers in town, but there there are folks that were uh, you know during that 10 day period were were where some folks some internal folks obviously knew it was coming um, and knew that it was being worked on, uh, but you sort of heard people uh, you know on the Twitter sphere just kind of like you know we've got this big building why don't we use it and I'm just like guys you know mm. we're throwing it together right now just you know. Patience, and then when they did it in ten days, it's amazing when you consider the logistics of that. Um, you know, from the from the building's perspective, uh, uh, the nice thing is that the staff at the convention center. You know, they're we like we always like to say that we we build and destroy a city every week, 
Um, and so uh, they, you know, once you told them what they were doing, they were able to sort of, you know, do exactly what they do best, which is put together really a, an, an incredible structure in, in a matter of moments. Yeah, because I know that um, certainly when you speak to a number of San Diego Comic-Con fans, there's a number of them, a huge percentage, I guarantee, that just think that the building remains dormant and empty for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, it's just it, it just exists for us that one <laughs> that one, that one week in July. Sorry, don't kill my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a funny a funny conversation I, I once had uh, with with the great and, and and late former president of Comic Con. We were just uh, we were in the building for another event. It was sort of like a pre Comic Con thing, but we were we were just walking the building. And he goes, it just doesn't look full. And there were like 30,000 people in the building. <laughs> you know, and we're walking around at this other convention and, and, and he, was, he, he was just like, you know, it just looks empty, doesn't it? it just look empty. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yes, I get it. Yours is the big one, I understand. But it was, it was, really, it was really funny. But, but it's true. I mean, any other convention in that building, you could theoretically uh, at least conceptualize how you would social distance. <laughs> you know, yeah. Comic-Con is not one of them. Yeah. With the relationship then uh, to put that kind of project together to get the homeless into the into the into the building, it's obviously a lot of factors and a lot of uh, plates being spun. But I'd like to talk about the relationship between the convention center and the city, especially when it comes to putting on events like uh, Comic Con, because that's not just the building; it's the closing down of Howard Drive. It's um, lots of spaces around the building. It's lots of uh, different elements all coming together. What's the relationship between the convention center and the city? What is the kind of to and fro that kind of has to go ahead to for a convention like SDC to happen? Sure. Well, there's the there's the technical structural relationship, which is that um, the convention center, so it's only in San Diego would be complicated this much. The convention center building itself is on uh, Port of San Diego land, and it is owned by the Port of San Diego, which is a separate uh, governmental agency from the city of San Diego. Uh, the port then leases the building to the city of San Diego for a dollar a year. And then the city um, created a nonprofit called the San Diego Convention Center Corporation. It is the one member of that nonprofit and it uh, appoints its board members. So somebody like me, like I was. Uh, and then it uh, delegates op uh, operational control of the building to the San Diego Convention Center Corporation. And what we're supposed to do is, and we do very well, is uh, run the building, pay for everything with the revenues of the building itself. And so that's that's how it kind of runs. On a more day-to-day -day basis, it's an as you could imagine, it's an incredibly close relationship. Um, uh, the mayor's team uh, and other city staff, as well as um, council members and everyone else is generally uh, pretty well uh, briefed on what's going on, um, having uh, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. On big events like, like Comic-Con, you bring in a lot of agencies, uh, including, by the way, the Port and the Coastal Commission, because shutting down Harbor Drive it takes uh, a multitude of agency yeah. approval. Uh, and, and that was one of those things that for our team was an amazing feat. Uh, it was literally a year in the making uh, the first time we shut down Harbor Drive uh, because there were, you know, three different jurisdictions that had to approve it, had to go through the planning and everything else uh, to make it all happen. And, you know, our, our, our approach was uh, from a security standpoint, it made more sense. From a safety standpoint, uh, it made more sense. Um, and, and the thing that triggered it for us was the year before, 
uh, harbor was shut down. The um, when every when the on Sunday when everything ended, everybody was leaving. And as you recall, it used to be you couldn't walk on the front drive; you could yeah. walk on the sidewalk, right? Uh, and just the way the the mechanics of I guess the number of people leaving the building happened, there was a crush of people on that sidewalk. Uh, as they were leaving, and, and uh, a lot of the folks, you know, our, our sort of logistics folks took a look at it and says, we can't, we have to use the entire front drive, including where the cars go. And that sort of started the conversation. And I, it's been a great experience, I think. I think it's made it a, a, a much le- mellower uh, uh, experience generally, because I, I, you for, you didn't realize how much stress that damn front drive one <laughs> caused oh, every yeah. attendee in the building. I mean, it was just because you were just like, yeah. you know, you were crushed. Um, so I, I remember you and I talked about it that first year. It just it just felt like lighter, as a yeah. general proposition. So um, well, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, was, it was the same year as well that um, all the exclusives moved to online as well. So I, yeah. I, I remember that that, that Thursday uh, meeting up with you. At, so no, it was another Wednesday, the preview night, and uh, we'd kind of gone onto the floor, and we were just kind of like going, "Okay, the atmosphere is so strange because everything's really." open and free out on the front. Everything's kind of, there's no real stress here inside. It was the strangest vibe. I just remember the look on your face like, this is not a Comic-Con like I yeah. experienced. <laughs> was so, we were so like, did, did, did we open? Did we have the doors open? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in that regard then, I mean, it sounds like a really strong symbiotic relationship between the convention center and the city. Then you throw San Diego Comic-Con into the mix, the CCI organization itself, which I can imagine is a stressful thing in itself because of all of the things that they demand from the building. Uh, I mean, has it always been a positive relationship? Is it something that has had its fraught moments? What's what's been the, that kind of relationship been like? You know, they have the, especially the primary people have been working together. I mean, the the event planner that is in charge of Comic Con at the convention center has been in charge of Comic Con for thir- you know for I think thirty years. I mean, so the the people that work together have worked together forever, um, and so there is a very very good cohesive working relationship going there. You know, it's it's a stressful event, so there's always going to be those tense moments when, with a push pull between the logistics of the event and and the needs of the building and vice versa. But um, I mean, I, I had never seen a, a group uh, when you're dealing with such a such a high intensity uh, planning process uh, go better um, uh, and get along better at the end of the day. They 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 just have really good open lines of communications. Um, you know, they talk to each other constantly. Uh, that relationship is much more the the um, convention center and Comic Con. The city is involved, obviously, in some of the logistics, but it's really the the two primary entities that do a lot of the work um, working up the event. Uh, and again, uh, you know, the convention center's job is to make sure um, Comic Con and every other convention that comes in is as successful as it can be. Um, and so they'll, um, you know, they'll they'll help the, the the promoters of that event do whatever they can to make it great. Uh, and then. We'll often, you know, occasionally we'll have suggestions um, on, 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 again, all logistical type of things. Uh, but it, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a really good working relationship. It's, it's always been impressive to me the way they've, they've uh, managed it, uh, given, again, uh, the intensity of it. And the funny thing is, once the convention's going, it's, it's 
it, it, I don't want to say autopilot because that's not the right word, but it, it but everything's just kind of running, right? I mean, it, it is it is incredible. You have a uh, in in the six years I was there, there was very few actual incidents at the convention where, you know, there, there something had to happen uh, from from uh, from our perspective or anything like that. It just it, you know it just goes. And then all the staff, right? Even all the staff at the convention, as you know, uh, both security, Comic Con folks, convention center folks, they've all done this together forever. Yeah. Um, mm. So all those people know each other. Um, you know, there, there's folks that uh, you know I I would see once a year at Comic-Con and we'd, you know, we'd hug, we'd say, Hey, how are you? We'd catch up. And then I wouldn't see them again for another year. And these are people working in our building. Right. So it was, a, it was an interesting uh, dynamic. And also, but it's interesting then that you talk about the way that um, everything kind of works almost on a automatic level, that everything kind of like slots into place on a very much uh, organic manner, but there have been those moments and certainly those times Certainly, when I've been going to uh, Comic Con, when we have seen those changes, which have really added on a, a different dynamic and a different flavor to the convention, such as the um, metal detectors that were included uh, for the Hall H and for the the whole RFID requirement for uh, some added security, how has been the uh, the changes in tensions that have happened over the course of say the last decade or so? How's that affected um, how the building is operated? I, I, um, I, you're saying the broader tension. I mean, you know, security is always one of those things that everybody's going to be um, concerned about and taking a look at. We are always trying to be proactive about it. It's, you know, it's 135,000 people. And if you count the, the other 100,000 outside, you know, it's a couple hundred thousand people in a very tight area. Um, and so you always want to be mindful of that. But we're, we're like that. Um, kind of all the time uh, with every convention obviously there's always there's always that that sort of review uh but yeah we've, we've tried i know i know the convention center has tried from a building standpoint i know comic-con's always looked at it this way they always want to be proactive they don't want to be reactive in terms of, of of threat levels or things like that they just want to try to bring things in but you know it's also one of these events that people are used to things the way they are and so any anytime you um implement change uh, it, it, it has to be gradual because it, it, you'll you'll freak people out <laughs> in terms of uh, the experience they're having if you don't. And so yeah. I think Comic-Con's Comic always been very good uh, at, at, at at least um, trying to implement change in a way that, that sort of works. You know, sometimes it's gone well, sometimes it's gone poorly, as, as we all know. But um, but I think I think the metal detectors were introduced pretty well. Uh, pretty and, and did a decent job of it. I mean, I think there were some logistical issues with sort of moving the lines and the shoots through in a timely manner. Uh, I thought the RFID thing was uh, one of the more smooth implementations, frankly, when you consider how much could have gone wrong with that um, and and the way it works. I mean, I, I, I you, you know, you always heard the occasional person that their chip wasn't working, but it was a very small number. I mean, if you think about it, and they, they usually were able to fix it pretty quickly. Um, so that that was always, that that was one of the more impressive implementations, frankly. Because I remember when it was coming in, I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> you know, I hope I hope this goes well," and it did. You know, so well considering they, they weren't there on the Wednesday, and then they suddenly were there Thursday, Friday. Uh, yeah, we were in the lines. We what what hell are what those and what the hell's going on? It was in like you say, um, uh, Mr. Peters was down there. Uh, sorry, Mr. Rogers was down there. Rogers. Uh, Rogers was down there. He was. Making sure it was all done uh, himself. He was very much uh, hands-on in that regard. I'm going to get some questions in as well from everyone else. I know a lot of people are jumping in with stuff from uh, on the uh, YouTube and on the uh, 
the, the Facebook. By all means, we are going to cover those, and we're going to get into a couple of audience questions very shortly indeed. And, of course, Tony, if you'd like to jump in, we'd always like to take it. No, it's, it's great because, I actually, it's, 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 it's nice to hear about this because San Diego is my convention. I absolutely love San Diego. When I first got into comics, uh, it was the first proper convention I went to back into, like, 2005. Uh, and I'd gone every single year. Um, and then about sort of four years ago, I had to stop going because I started um, doing the comic zone for the London Film and Comic Con. And this year was going to be the year that I was going to go back. Oh. And then there was a thing last year where San Diego, we'd seen there was a date and it got moved and it was going to be the same weekend as London Film and Comic Con. So I couldn't go. And I think it's nice of you to cancel it so that obviously <laughs> I don't feel so bad. But I was listening to what you were saying. So I remember even from 2005, the change between 2005 and say 2015 or 2016 was insane. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah. I remember uh, talking to somebody at the Sci-Fi Channel uh, at one point, and and they were telling me, you know, the fact that it just got crazy inside of the the, um, the convention center itself, and the fact that basically so many people were turning up now without tickets just to hang around in San Diego. And now suddenly, you know, then, you know, the Sci-Fi Channel was taken over. I think it's um, Mary Jane's Cookies, which is the cafe on the, the um, Hard Rock Hotel. And then uh, the Cartoon Network was taken over a shoe store. And then it turned into people were just walking into stores and going, how much do you make in a week? If we give you double, can we just have your shop? And it just completely changed it. And it turned San Diego into basically the entire city became Comic Con. And that was incredible. And the one thing I remember was, I mean, there's just two things I'm going to remember, and I'm going to say these very quickly. Um, one of them was the fact that the last time I turned up was the first time I ever went down the, the onto the marina section. Because always kind of, you always kind of avoid that kind of area because you just kind of just come out the front, you go to the gas lamp, you come back to the convention center. I hadn't realized there was an entire... That's the bar's <laughs> Yeah, but I just didn't realize there's like an entire funfair section there this year. And I was walking around just going, what the hell is all this? But I will say for organization... Um, San Diego Comic Con is absolutely amazing. And the reason uh, I say that is because um, I think it was 2009, I want to say, but it might be 2008. I had a wedding that was being done at San Diego Comic Con uh, that I was officiating. Uh, yeah. And I had like, you know, by the laws of the state of California, I can conduct weddings. And there was um, Ray Dillon and, and uh, Eva, um, I can't remember who it was actually, it was, it was, it was Ray Dillon and Rene uh, Deliver. They were getting married and they had asked me to do it. And it was in that kind of auditorium bit that's at the back of the convention mm -hmm. center. Yeah. And I'd done my signing at IDW. I'd run back to my hotel, which was um, just off the gas lamp. Uh, and I'd got changed into clerical gear. <laughs> so I had a dog collar and a black suit. I mean, first off, wearing a black suit and a dog collar in the middle of San Diego in July is bloody stupid. Yeah. But I ran back <laughs> to San Diego and I got there about, it was done right after it ended. And I remember coming back about, 10 15 minutes before everything closed and i was like um hi i need to come in and the guy was like i'm really sorry but you know we're not allowing anybody else in now it's kind of fin we're finishing up and i said no you don't understand i'm i'm here to do a wedding and he just looked at me and he went i thought you were cosplaying and then <laughs> and he took me down all the secret corridors that i'd only ever seen you know the movie people going down and it was great and i've got to say the speed that it was just like bam like doom 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 straight there i was stunned and I must admit, you see, you see this craziness and this hecticness and the people who go year after year, we all have our little secret nooks that we know if I just duck through here and go down there and I can find myself in a completely different area that I need to be in. But I was absolutely stunned by the fact that every year it gets bigger and bigger and crazier. Yet your guys 
I couldn't do like in London. We have cab drivers have to have the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. the road. These guys were doing that. Boom. Straight away. I was so impressed with that. Well, Leonard will remember when we gave out uh, chocolates uh, two years ago, right? Yeah. Um, we, uh, it was really funny because I, I obviously I, I know a lot of those back corridors and uh, we met up in a in an office in the interior of the building to grab the chocolates and then we were heading to to the outside of Hall H and uh, one of my team members were like oh well, let's go let's go this way I was like what the hell is this way and it was this <laughs> this hallway that led to some stairs and then all of a sudden we popped out the side right there and I was like. How do I know not know this, this particular <laughs> location? And and it was hilarious. And it was, but but the building is full of those. And um, uh, and and it's a you know you, you obviously you have to right you have to have the sort of ways with where the staff and the teams can get through and where you're moving all the all the talent um, and anybody really. I mean you know mm-hmm. uh, I always joked uh, when I would give. Uh, a council member or some state official a tour, I, you know, I, I'd be walking them or putting them in the freight elevator. And I was like, you know, uh, Obama was in this freight elevator. And, you know, you just, you, you, you can sort of tell them about that, you know, that behind the scenes, you know, excitement that, that yeah. all these celebrities get to see the, the, the kitchens, the freight elevators, the docks, right. All that stuff that, that everybody else doesn't get to see, but it's, it, it is amazing the way people can, the, that you can move through the building. And that, oh, yeah. you know, that was one of those things where, when I was thinking about it this year, I wasn't going to be able to move through the building like that. So it's going to be a different experience altogether. So. Well, let's talk about that different experience uh, then, because something what I was going to get into, like I say, the changes that uh, have happened to the convention over the year and over the years, sorry, um, we are going to be seeing a totally different San Diego Comic-Con in 2021. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on how you feel um, the convention could evolve um, in terms of because we've seen uh, implementation of, like you say, of security, of uh, health and safety, everything that the, the the building has done and the convention center staff have done have done to make sure that everyone is safe and well and looked after at the building. But this is going to be in 2021 slightly different because I think the tone of people coming to the convention center is going to be different, not just necessarily how things are organized, but just the audience are going to be bringing their own baggage. Um, what yeah. do you think, uh, how do you feel the building may have to evolve and how the organization may have to evolve for next year? You know, it's hard. I know that I know that the the initial steps that were taken before everybody understood really how, how locked down we would be. Um, you know, I was seeing them more publicly, obviously, than, than the than the behind the scenes stuff. But they were they were starting to implement everything they could in terms of the high contact surfaces, that type of stuff, and and increasing the level. Uh, even though it's, you know, the amount of cleaning that goes in and up and out in that building under normal circumstances a lot, but trying to ramp that up even further. It's hard to um, imagine though, on on with social distancing, how you pull off a, a, the very large conventions, right? I mean, again. The ones that are 15, 20, 30,000, you can you can you can see how you you know in in the in the in the, um, in the public sessions how you'd separate people you know you do you do some some broader separation in the chairs and things like that, but the lineups I mean the way you get into stuff you, you have to completely rethink that if the social distancing measures are in full in full in effect. Um, July twenty one you know the, theoretically you have a vaccine hopefully sometime next year but. Up until then, but I, I will bet you money you're still going to have a lot more people um, 
my, my gut is we're going to feel much more like the Asian countries have felt now for a while, where a lot more people mask up as a general proposition, right? I mean, uh, you, you know, where you just see that as a more common thing um, everywhere you go. Um, and so I think that the trauma of this event is going to stick with us for some time. I, I was at the, I was telling my wife, I was at the grocery store yesterday, what we, we do a once a week run. And it, what, what, what are we at, week five? <laughs> I don't even know, yeah. it's, it's like a blur. Uh, and it's, it feels weird to be around people. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, which is troubling, I, I, you know, and, and when you think of that mentality and you apply that to Comic-Con, it's just not, you know, it's not cohesive. So um, I think next year will be a weird year just because we're going to, we're, e even if we're out of it and we have a vaccine and whatever, um, you're, you're <laughs> still going to be so close to the experience that I, I I'll, I'll be very interesting to see a, how many people go um, uh, and B whether or not, they limit the numbers. Um, uh, one thing that'll be interesting, I think, and this is, again, I've, I've got no knowledge on this, so so this is just me, sure. a fan spitballing, is um, depending on how many people get the refund versus get the continuation, right? Do they do they sell those refunded seats? Uh, well, that's, that's the comment right? that's coming from Andrew Dickinson on the, uh, on the, uh, the chat. I can't see how it's going to work without restricting numbers. So I don't think they will have a resale. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. I, and, it, and if they do, they, it won't be until very close to the to the convention because yeah. you're just not going to know. I mean, you're going to have no idea yeah. what what you're going to be dealing with until probably a few months out. Um, yeah. And so you could see them holding back whatever gets refunded. I'll be fat. I mean, we'll we'll, you, we'll never know, right? We'll never know how many people got refunded. Um, but uh, it, that would be a, a, a very interesting uh, aspect of it as well. If if uh, you know a third, which which would surprise me, I just don't think a third. I think I think most people are still going to want to go. Yeah, I think uh, so. that, um, I think San Diego's in a good position in one way because you've got test conventions beforehand. Because, like for example, Read Pop um, in England, we've got um, next month was supposed to be the MCM Comic Expo. They've now moved that to July. I think that's optimistic. Yeah, uh, I think that probably will they'd be cancelled and they'll move to their October one. But you'll still have. October will be that. You'll have uh, New York Comic Con, if it happens, will do something along those lines. Even if they don't, there'll be restrictions. Or even if they, so if, they, if they do in a smaller level, you'll have restrictions and things like that coming in that San Diego can watch. And then you've got things like WonderCon and, and, you know, and even like Long Beach and things like that that are coming in earlier in the year. All of these things, every single one, San Diego's got the ability to look at it, see what went wrong, see what went right, and work at it from that. And I think that does put um, pretty much anybody who's post June next year, convention-wise, I think is in a very good position to work out how they can make it work. Yeah, and, and, and remember, we do a hundred and something other conventions the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. So um, it'll, you know, right now it's looking like the summer is probably gone, um, uh, oh. obviously. But um, it, J July in San Diego is actually crazy. Uh, you know, in July in San Diego, that we have Pride, we've got uh, uh, Comic Con. <laughs> There's Esri. Uh, there are there are the number of citywide events in July is insane. Um, I don't think Esri's announced anything, but um, uh, I was going to ask probably, about that particular convention. Yeah, I, I haven't. I, yeah, I haven't heard. I mean, uh, on at least on the um, uh, I think the last time I checked the schedule, it was still there. Um, Pride has been canceled. I mean, July in San Diego is, is going to be a fundamentally different experience this year because yeah. you know, all the yeah. big citywide events are, are, are basically getting canceled. So, but, but, um, 
I think the, the other the other interesting one is going to be um, the auto show, which is the, which is as close in terms of size to Comic Con as, as it gets in the building because it's over a hundred thousand people that come through the building over the course of the weekend. Yeah, um, that one will be interesting because obviously you know you got all these people getting into a car and <laughs> touching a car and doing. I mean, there's all the all the stuff that after. You know, you've experienced this, and if you've ever watched uh, Contagion, you freak out by everything you've touched in the world. Um, and uh, so that'll be another interesting test case in terms of how they do it. And, you know, by by that time of year, you may be able to sort of have limited numbers of people moving through the building at particular times or not. So I agree with you. I mean, I think we'll, we'll definitely get some test cases, uh, and then we'll see how it goes. Um, but, yeah, I, I suspect that we're probably not seeing anything this summer. Fair enough. Yeah. I agree um, with that. I'd also like to talk about um, a little bit of history when it comes to the convention center and how they've wanted to move forward in terms of uh, the long wanted expansion to the building, which has been something that you've been wanting in place for years. Uh, it's come so close so many times. Could be now in the uh, aftermath of uh, this uh, crisis, uh, could we see th those conversations kind of fading away for the moment? Uh, could we basically see that the, the demand of people wanting to come to the convention center and do conventions, could that kind of negate any conversation about an expansion now? So, you know, the, the obituary of the convention business <laughs> has, been, has been written many times, often because of the, you know, the video conferencing and everything else. Um, my, my gut on that is this. I don't think organizations once once they can come back to it um, will go away from that for the simple reason that people love <laughs> the excuse to travel somewhere uh, and 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 experience something uh, different uh, you know as part of their uh, professional development as part of everything else and so I, I think that the sort of in-person stuff will always be something that we will do as a society we you know we're gonna adjust but I think it'll be a different um, uh, experience. So I, I, I don't think the convention center business is going away. I certainly don't think in a city like San Diego, which is one of the top five convention destinations and tourist destinations in the, in the country, that that would really uh, ultimately affect them. It'll be a it'll be a short term hit for sure until we adjust. Um, uh, in terms of the vote, man, it was you know we were we were within one percent, sixty five percent of San Diegans voted to expand it. Uh, there was one individual that decided to spend three, four hundred thousand dollars of his personal money to oppose it, and you know, when when it's that close, you can say that person made a difference um, in the outcome. There is still a a glimmer of hope there because there is some unsettled law in California as to whether or not, uh, when it's a citizens' initiative, which is what this was, it requires fifty percent or more, or sixty-five percent or more, and the city has kept that option open the whole time. Um, so. Uh, I'm I, I'm always the eternal optimist, so I haven't quite given up on this measure yet, just because this, the California Supreme Court may have something different to say about it. Um, if it if that's not the case, though, you're you're, you're probably talking a few years because it's you're going to have to re revamp, and the city's budget right now is a disaster, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, the I've got on that though is where would you even, where would you extend it anyway? Because I remember when I first started going, there was all <laughs> about where would we go, and then where they were looking to go became the Hilton. So no, so there's two there's two directions you can still go. I, I know the Hilton's there, but the the current approved plan is towards the water. So essentially, you would you would get rid of the park, uh, yeah. the park. Yeah, you get rid of the park and the parking lot behind the building. 
you'd move the, the, the access road back there, basically right against the promenade. Uh, and then the building would go. I'm sorry. Hall J becomes a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually, so you, so you keep all, so you keep all the same halls, but uh, D through H all become bigger. Uh, a through C stay the same. Yeah. D through H go out further. The coolest thing about the existing plan was they were putting a five-acre park on top of the building, um, wow. and and you could program there. You could, I mean, it was it was going to be this incredible, um, you know, and part the, of the, the building where you could see downtown and the water. I mean, it was this. It, it's it's a beautiful design. The other mother, um, mother of all ramps as well. Oh which yeah, went, yeah it went uh, from pretty much went from the Hilton all the way up to uh, to the back. Yeah, it was basically yeah. A, it was, the ramp was from Hall H to Hall D. At a slight ascent, so it was this crazy, awesome ramp to get up to the roof. Um, the other place you can actually go uh, that I took a look at uh, when we were still trying to figure out if if the existing plan was going to work is you can actually push out from the front, uh, so you can push Harbor Drive up against the rail tracks because there's there's some grass there. It is Greenland, yeah, they, uh, yeah, yeah, and then you and then you push Harbor Drive. Uh, forward uh, a little bit you don't actually have to sink it people used to think you'd have to drop harbor drive and build on top of it but that would be like billions of dollars so that doesn't work but you can push forward and then the cool thing about that is if you put a bridge um you can basically have the front door of the building in the gas lamp um, you can drop you can drop a front door right by um, tinfish basically um and and which would be really cool um and that would get you almost as much as going backward so it's mm. a little smaller of an expansion, but it's it's within seventy thousand square feet. I mean, it's it's really close. Um, so there's places to go. Uh, okay. Frank, you know, I, I always joke that phase three was to the back, phase four was to the front. <laughs> so you know, just, that's just me. But uh, but yeah, the the thing about this building is it's it you know on normal times it's full. It's so full we can't. We're we were scheduling stuff into the twenty thirties into the twenty forties. Um, and people want to go there. So if you build it, you'll fill it. That's just the reality of it. Okay. Got a couple of these questions that have come in from uh, our audience, and then uh, we'll talk to Tony as well. What everybody's been waiting for, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll dive into one or two of these quick questions then. Uh, Andrew Dickinson, I believe this is going to be a spelling mistake, but is SDCC a private company owned by the council or part of the council itself? It's a private company owned by the city. There you go. Uh, and also a, a basic question about um, how you became uh, selected to the board. This has come from uh, Karen Session. Uh, so it's, it's a political appointment. Uh, so some of it's politics. Um, I had served on the uh, city of San Diego's ethics commission in the, in the aughts. And, um, and so the, the ethics commission, the convention center, the, Port. Uh, there, there's a, a handful of commissions that are um, sort of almost almost as much responsibility as an elected official has. They are generally appointed by either the mayor, the council, or a combination thereof. Um, and you, um, uh, what they what they like, obviously, for the for the bigger boards, is to have somebody that's had experience on a board, uh, because you know you run a bigger and bigger organization as it gets through. Um, and so the fact that I that I think I'd previously served on a on a fairly significant um, board here in town, you know, put me in a in a mix of people that that would qualify, if you will, for for one of the bigger ones. 
Um, and then just kind of applying and talking to the various council members uh, about, you know, my approach and, and, and how I, I would, uh, you know, what, what I thought I would bring to the table. Um, I had a, a reputation for, for bringing transparency to sort of politics um, and campaign finance when I was on the Ethics Commission, and so they wanted more transparency on the Convention Center finances and board. Um, so that seemed to carry the day for at least my appointment. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Any more questions, do dive in on the uh, the chats, and we'll uh, do and cover as many of them as we possibly can. But I think it's time uh, to introduce uh, properly Mr. Tony Lee to the conversation. Oh, no, Hello, Tony. Keep chatting together, this is great. Uh, I've got <laughs> um, what year would this have been for San Diego Comic Con? Uh, this would have been, so, which one? It would, last year was 50, this would be 51. Yeah, 51, right? 51, so, yeah. Are they going to be renaming it so that next year is 51? Would be, yeah. Yeah, it would fine. be. That's fine. I'm, that, that's, I want to check that because in June, it's my 50th birthday, and I've decided that I'm probably just going to stay 49 for another year. <laughs> I, think that, I think that makes sense. I'm going to use San Diego as the basis for that, so that's good. Well, considering I'm arrested, arrested development embodied, I'm 16 for the rest of my life, I think, it, which explains the inability to grow any kind of facial hair. So that kind of explains that. Um, Tony, I mean, as a writer of comics and a writer of all kind of formats, um, you are definitely seeing uh, the, 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 this whole crisis that's hitting uh, all sorts of industries from a very different perspective. And I, I, for, in the comics industry, it's a lot of people who are working uh, freelancers and they're definitely struggling to kind of balance any kind of professional work that they had in place with their own projects, which they're now kind of bringing to the fore. But what I'm definitely seeing is a lot of camaraderie and support of each other within the industry. And I, mean, I appreciate that maybe from the view of an enthusiastic fan, but what's so the mood that you're seeing with your fellow creators? I'll, I'll agree with that. I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, I will say as well, is another. I know another one of the reasons you wanted me on was because of the fact that I have a secondary job, which is I'm the guy who runs the comic zone of the London Film and Comic Con, uh, which uh, over the last few years I've sort of curated and I've brought in a lot more comic creators. And I will just say very quickly on that one, um, at the moment uh, I, have, I can't give you any answers on what LFCC is doing because sure. I'm not showmasters i'm just a consultant uh but i do know that they have looked at this i know that um even if they did happen in july it would be a much reduced footprint they're they're not going to make a decision until probably next month on that and i know that probably what will happen is a lot of the things that happen in july will move to the winter show in november and november will probably become a bigger show but the reason i'm saying that is because obviously i talk to a lot of creators who use comic conventions to build their money uh, because, you know, comics, if you're getting paid work, that's great. But a large percentage of comic creators and comic artists work from gig to gig. So they rely on um, comic conventions to, you know, do commissions or sketches or things like that. So, you know, I mean, I know uh, creators who literally will go to com uh, conventions 40 weeks out of the year. You know, they're, so every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're somewhere else. And this is gone for them suddenly, instantly just disappears. Um, and so I've had a lot of people contacting me saying um, what's happening with London Film and Comic Con. I've had uh, creators who were going to do San Diego, um, were going to do London Film and Comic Con, but then when it was clashing with San Diego said, we're sorry, we can't do it. I'm now emailing and saying, hey, um, you know, are you guys <laughs> going? Because everybody's unsure what's going to happen. And I think with the comic community, 
the one thing I have learned um, is that the comic community comes together and, and looks after each other and they, they back each other up. And last year at the London Film and Comic Con, uh, I saw this ever more so because we had issues with a couple of guests, uh, media guests, and the comic convention, uh, the, the comic guests uh, all kind of sided you know, with each other, realizing that, well, that's not guest behavior and kind of looked at that. But we also had things where, um, for example, uh, a hotel room uh, was booked for one of the guests. Uh, the flights delayed, it was Will Sliney. The flights delayed from Ireland. He got in late. Um, the, but the hotel, because it had gone past half past 10, had given the hotel away. So while we were trying to sort things out, the comic creators who were guests were all working out who could stay with who and who could go where just to make sure that Will had a room. And, you know, and I've, I mean, I've worked in many places over the years. I mean, I've worked in many industries and, and comics are one of the few where there'll be two people with no money whatsoever, but they'll still give each other what pennies they have. Sure. You know, when you're stuck in that hole, they will jump down in that hole with you just to make sure that you're not alone. Yeah. And a lot of the creators that I know have had problems and are having to try and find new ways to employ themselves. And it is tough. I mean, it's it's tough for all of us. I mean, I'm lucky in the respect that I work in other mediums as well as comics now. But, you know, there were, there were literally, I mean, I had three comic production, uh, three comic things going into production this year. Two of them just basically just disappeared like that. It was like Thanos clicked his fingers and they were gone. Um, and I'm not the only one. I've had people who have had their entire year just removed with a blink of an eye. Uh, comic companies have just suddenly turned around and said, that's it, we're done. You know, no more of them. I'm lucky, and I'll be honest, because people like Lion Forge only, who I'm doing a book for, sat down and said, no, keep going. You know, we're going to keep making sure this happens. But, yeah, it's never before have I seen so many big-name, established creators sitting there going, I'm absolutely screwed. Yeah. Because all the things, I mean, and again, we... We were in a weird situation before this all happened with like, you know, Dan Didio uh, leaving DC Comics and no one knew what was going to be happening there. And and Marvel, you know, and DC were kind of bouncing against each other. To lose that straight away, to have Diamond suddenly close down, to have uh, a ton of um, publishers of all sizes just turn around and go, yeah, we're going to pause. Yeah. It's, it's a scary place. And, I, and I'm not too sure how it is in America, but... 70% of the, the artists and writers in the UK, you know, they, they, they're in this kind of weird in, industry where they're, yeah, they're self-employed, but at the same time, they don't make a great amount of money. And now the government's doing this big thing where they're going to say, we're going to give you 80% of your money and things like that. They're not. They're giving 80% of the money that you get after taxes and stuff like that. Isn't it when, off the back of your last, after uh, your, income, your last income tax your return? Last yeah. Sense. And here's the problem with that. And I've having recently bought a house in the last four years, I know this. You you have a job where you earn forty thousand pounds, and you know you pay your 25 percent tax, or whatever it is, and then you get the remainder as your funding, and that's you know that's how what you live on. The government will give you eighty percent of your forty thousand. With creators and comic creators, people like that, you might make forty thousand in a year. You then pay your taxes on that, but you're given 11,000 as a base, which you don't have to pay on. You then have your expenses that come out. So I work from home, I claim for my rent and things like that. And there's other expenses that you have to do as a business, which if you worked for a company, they would pay for, but you have to pay yourself. And by the time you work out your taxes, and I pay the same amount of tax as most other people, there's no difference on that, but there are people who don't. So therefore that changes that. But then when you find out, 
your actual take-home money after taxes and stuff like that, you know, your 20%, 25% is taken off, your 11,000, you're now down to say 20,000 a year. Well, that's what you're going to get your 80% of. Oh. And there are writers out there who are literally on the breadline who have made maybe five, 6,000. Yeah. So they're going to get less than a month for their entire year. And this is where the problem kicks in because these guys, they can't live on that. And that's not what they're going to have to do. So they're going to have to be unemployed. They have to go for tax credits. But then the moment you go for unemployment, that affects your self-employment. And that is where the issue is coming in. This is where, I mean, I asked last week, is, um, there's a lot of American companies and a lot of American people now going, we're going to start doing some charities and things like that. I haven't, I've yet to find a UK uh, organization that's turned around and said, we're going to find a film fund, uh, find a comic fund. I work in film and TV and every day I'm seeing organizations, Netflix, you know, uh, Amazon, all these people saying, here's 500 million we're putting into a, a freelancers fund for, for writers who are having problems. We need something like that for comics. Sure. And unfortunately, a lot of the big companies are in America and they're looking after the American companies. And I understand that completely. But we, we do need to find a way of looking after. I mean, even if it's some way of turning around and saying, OK, look, you know, these guys are doing commissions and they come to a convention and you want them and they're going to do a commission at your convention. Buy it off them here. Go here. I mean, uh, Rachel Smith, who you had on last week is, you know, she's doing a great job. She's doing every day. She's doing a sketch uh, like a, a strip. Um, and then she sells it on Etsy. She does prints, which is great and wonderful. But unless you know Rachel, you don't know she's doing it. And there needs to be bigger press exposure. You need to be calling on Rich Johnson and Bleeding Cool and, you know, and a dozen other places and saying we need to have this. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the, um, the, the, the uh, there needs to be more exposure to how people can help creators. And I don't think we're there yet because at the same time, a lot of creators don't want to make a fuss. You know, there's a lot uh, of I just, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very I've been really curious about the the crowdfunding that oh sorry the the kind of charity drive that's been happening this weekend in the last couple of weeks, which is the creators for comics. That's yeah. been more for the retailers. That's been for the yeah. bookshops and for the coach, which is great. I am waiting for the first effort now for creators themselves because, like you say, that I think we're going to see a massive swathe of them just no longer being able to make comics. But here's the here's the problem, and believe me, I'm not in any way saying I'm taking a side on this because I've seen both. When I do comic uh, zone planning and things like that, Comic Zone has two sections. One is which is called guests, and one is which is called artist alley. Now the problem with that is the reason they do that is because if you're a guest, you've been invited, you've got credits in the industry, and you know people will come and see you, and you get a little table and stuff like that. But in artist alley, they're still comic creators. They're still people who are making their comics. You know. But some of them don't have uh, credits. Some of them have never you know, been professionally paid to do it. So therefore, there's a kind of line that covers. Once you start looking at a comic charity that's paying towards comic creators, where does the line go? Do you give it to someone who's literally lost out the three comics that they do a month and is now has no money? Or do you give it the same to somebody who maybe does three uh, creator-owned things? and does them in the side or what about the guy who pays his artist to do the stuff for him or or the or the girls who who put together as a group and do things there's so many different ways to write a comic all of them are being hit in different ways with creating and i, I think there needs to be some way of doing it even if there's a way of monetizing things online where you know going back to the old sort of webcomic patreon kind of way where you can actually turn around and say you know i'm putting my things online and you can you know pay a certain amount of money to get it or just given that nodding. I mean, Donny Cates is doing amazing stuff in America, you know, yes, buying 
pulling uh, pull boxes, but there's people in the UK who are doing the same. Who I'm not going to name their names, and and there are people who are deliberately going out and buying every indie comic they can find just to make sure those guys are making money. But at the same time, those guys aren't making the money from that indie comic because that money is then going to go to the publisher who will then give it to them in their royalty statement, which might not be for a year. You know, I mean, I, I do a lot of creator own stuff for Marcosia and I'll get, every, well, pretty much every May, I'll get my royalty statement. So you buy something now, great, I'll get it in May. But if you buy it, you know, in two months time, I'll get it next year. And that's what, that's the biggest problem we have is most people who do creator own stuff, they live for selling it to somebody face to face at a convention. Sorry, there's a bit of a, an off on one. I do apologize. No, 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 you're absolutely oh, right. I mean, I'm really curious as well to see, um, like you say, we've, we're looking at the different models and how the existing models have almost collapsed in a matter of weeks. I mean, Diamond is the big example of that. To go from the monopoly of distribution for comics, certainly in North America and across the globe, to then closing their warehouses and almost coming to a complete standstill within a, I think it was like a two week period. It was, just, it was, it was just absolutely insane. But then well, I'm just curious, uh, number one, whether should Diamond die, and uh, or at least um, that monopoly should just um, should die, and whether we will see more creators taking on their own avenues of reaching out to their audiences in terms of crowdfunding, in terms of self-publishing, in terms of getting stuff posted online. I think we're going to see a massive ramp up of that. Oh, well, straight away, I'll say, I mean, I'm, I, I, I look, there's a lot of people at Diamond I know and I respect and I, I love, but Diamond itself, I've had issues with for a long time. Um, Marcosia hasn't used Diamond for years uh, because Diamond charged a ton of money to actually have that book come through. You know, there's a chunk of your percentages. I mean, Diamond, uh, when Marcosia were going through this, I mean, they were charging normal rates of their books. But by the time they'd done their printing costs and by the time they'd done Diamond, uh, they were literally losing a dollar a book. You know, so they actually went on their own and went through Amazon and made more money that way. There used to be other alternatives to Diamond who kind of died down. I don't think this will kill Diamond because Diamond is a beast. But I think you're going to see, uh, there's two things I'd like to see, to be perfectly honest. One is that DC and Marvel are talking about trying to get back into the mom and pop stores in America. They're trying to get back into the, the shelving. And when I was a kid, you know, you'd go in your corner shop and you'd find the comics. And I'm aware that this kills comic stores and I don't want to kill comic stores. But then at the same time, I've got five comic stores I go to and pretty much every single one of them uh, barely has comics anymore. It's Funko's. Um, at London Film and Comic Con, a friend of mine runs a comic store in uh, Stevenage and most of his comics are online now. He, his entire store is, is pretty much toys and comics uh, is, and Funko's. So there's an element where if, they're, if the comic stores are reducing the comics, then we need to be looking at something else anyway. And if mum and pop stores are going to take image and boom and, and, and other things like that, well, that's going to give us an attitude, uh, an avenue to go through. And it will change the attitude of uh, Diamond. The second is if somebody turns around and says, I will create an alternative to Diamond. And we've had them in the past, um, big dreams, and then they've died. But all it takes is one to turn around and say, we can do this. And at the moment, you know, Diamond is that old tiger that's being, you know, bitten by the younger ones and it's it's licking its wounds there's a moment where people are going to walk in and take stuff i mean already midtown are doing stuff in america with dc it's going to change and this is going to completely change it and i do i mean i think somebody put a thing up at the bottom i saw just then but it, it's annoying it took a pandemic to do this and yes it's disgusting it took a pandemic to do this but then nobody and again 
nobody wants to talk about this if you're creative because the last thing you want to do is piss off diamond or dc or marvel because you're worried that you might never work for diamond or dc or marvel sure and that's where it starts coming through uh, I mean, we've got a comment from uh, Solicitor's Make. Always good with uh, really strong questions uh, when uh, they when he joins in. What are your thoughts on DC's distribution uh, decision? Because they've decided to uh, start looking at not only using uh, Diamond, but also going through their own um, distribution uh, method. Um, I believe they're wanting to start getting into basically opening up their own warehouses and um, start publishing themselves. I mean, I feel like I said, um, I think the monopoly is going to come to a close. Is DC the first and will they be the last? No, I think, I think DC will do this. Um, what my thoughts on it are, it's, it's, it's very similar to the fact that DC needs to sell the comics. They can't not do the comics. You know, they, they can't not have these on the door. They can't put them online and just go digital because then the comic stores get suffered. Um, you literally have to have a situation where they, you know, they, they have to find a way of doing this. And if Diamond won't step up, then they have to step up themselves. My worry is they're turning around and doing short-term deals with these people and saying, look, you know, we only need this for six months, you know, then we'll see how it goes. And then they'll do it for six months and loads of people join in. And then all it takes is for DC to go, do you know, what? I've changed my mind. And then form everything collapses again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I've got all respect for Diamond. I'm, <laughs> most of my comics go through Diamond. I'm not going to complain. But I'd like to see somebody turn around and try and say we can do the same. Because there were a lot of people in what's called the green book, green pages, which is when you look in previews, you have, you know, your yeah. big main front. And then everybody else is just dumped in the back alphabetically. There's a whole ton, ton of those guys who would probably quite happily go with somebody else if it meant they got seen or yeah. they got viewed. Because, I mean, DC and Marvel in their, in their heyday does, what, 70, 80 books a month, if that? You know, and those aside, you're not going to be buying many other comics. So everybody else, those other 100, 200-odd companies are all struggling for, like, you know, your 10 bucks of your money per month. They're going to look for whatever ways they can. And if somebody turns around and says, look, we're only going to do independent press, I think that would help. I think if someone turns around and says we're only going to do American press, that will still help in in that respect. Sure. Okay. Uh, I'm like I say, we wanted to get a couple more questions. I think we'll uh, carry on the uh, conversation for a little while longer because, um, like, we. Yeah, no, no. When we when when I wanted to when I started this new run of uh, the shows, I was going to try and keep it to an hour, but we've got a lot to get into this episode, so we fully understand we're going to go on a little bit further with Tony. No, 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 I'm learning a lot. So it's all good. <laughs> Tony, as somebody I'm who's burning my career down in very big bridges at the moment, don't not at all. No, I don't know. No, no. Listen, you are saying things which a lot of people are saying. It's not just your inside voice on this one. Don't worry about it. And, and uh, from this outsider's perspective, you were very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've, people have been saying that you have been uh, very good with your answers as well for uh, all of the, the information you've been uh, giving us, Dick Gill. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that. Tony, as somebody who has their fingers not only in the, uh, in the pies of comics in the UK, but also internationally, and you're also a lecturer at various uh, events and schools uh, mm -hmm. uh, across the globe and in, in the UK as well, um, what can you see as being the future of conventions and also the way that um, creators will approach those shows? Because we're, I'd like to approach 
this show uh, from the perspective of the, uh, the, per the, the person who's attending. But at the end of the day, there is the talent that is going to be dissuaded to attend um, shows, especially on an international level. Um, certainly from, uh, I, I, I can imagine the conversations you've been having about the London show. I mean, what's been the, the conversation when it comes to the international guests? Well, I mean, to be honest, I'll be, I, as I said, I'm, I've not had any conversations about the sure. show uh, because Showmasters has pretty much had to close down. The, the office crew are now uh, all at home. And, and again, nobody knows. Um, I, I will be honest, I'm kind of hoping, and this is a personal thing, this isn't anything from anybody I work with. I mean, I used to do you know, MCM Comic Con and I felt the same then. Um, I do feel that over the years, uh, the media guests have, the prices have gone up and up and up and up and up. And there was a point where um, people were, you know, not so much wanting to go to conventions because of the amount of money or when they turned up, they'd have three, four hundred pounds, but that's like three guests and then they're done. Um, and I, one thing I have seen is that, you know, there's a lot of my, my, my guests at LFCC will turn around and say, we've had one of the best conventions we've ever had. You know, I had people at uh, LFCC Spring say, we've had one of the best conventions we've ever had. But I learned a lot of the times what I've suggested to them is look at who's turning up as guests and make sure your work is related to those guests. Because half the people who walk around on the comic, yeah, at the London Film and Comic Convention, lots of people who walk along the comic section don't even know comics. They're there because they want to get a photo with Christopher Lambert, like myself. I'm not going to complain. You know, or they're there because of, you know, some other guest or the Game of Thrones cast are there or, you know, something like that. They've turned up for those people. And then they'll be walking along and go, oh, my God. I mean, Will Simpson uh, was there a couple of years ago. And it was like, you know, he's the Game of Thrones uh, uh, storyboarder and designer. People didn't care that he'd done Hellblazer. It was only when they sat there and looked that he'd done Hellblazer that they were like, oh, my God. So there's a case of pulling people in is great. But again, what they're having to do is they're having to tailor what they're showing or what they're announcing to whatever's in the area. Now, what I'd like to see is with international guests and stuff like that is, I mean, I'm a writer and conventions are always a tough thing for a writer because you can go as an artist and you can do a sketch. You know, you can give me a blank page and go, can you draw me something? I sketch it and I go, that's a hundred pound or 50 pound or your house. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, I will do this for you. As a writer, all I can do is sign your comic. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and go, let me write you a dialogue piece or, you know, let me, let me do a comic. You know, there's well, no aware that's what the first thing I'm going to ask you to do the next time I see you. <laughs> totally. But, yeah, <laughs> when you come to San Diego and we have a beer, Tony, we're definitely talking about the dialogue you're writing for me. <laughs> But this is the thing. I mean, I mean, obviously, most of the times when I was at San Diego, uh, it was when there was a book and I'd come along and I'd sign copies of the book. Um, I remember Alex Sinclair did an amazing thing where he would sit beside uh, um, Jim Lee, who is obviously live streaming as we're live streaming, which is nice of him. Um, our, our, our numbers did tank, by the way, just to let you know. <laughs> and then he'd pass over to Alex, who would then use crayons and, or, or brushes or pastels and, and, it, and color it. And that was a way of, of two people doing the same thing, which was great. So, I mean, as a writer, it's very difficult. Unless you've got stuff to sell, writers don't make money at conventions. You know, they'll turn up and do the signings, but most of it is just for them to turn up and say hello and, and give something back to the fans. Artists are the ones who have the biggest issue. And the international artists, um, again, the biggest thing is they can't bring stock because they're turning up with hand luggage or they're turning up with a very small amount. So they rely on people turning around and saying, you know, I'm going to put my list out a week before the con and then I'll just turn up, buy some A3 sheets and just draw them while they're there. So I think what's happening at the moment with international guests is they don't know if they're going to go international as well. I mean, a, 
a ton of guests are now saying, I want to say guests, people I know who are guests at conventions, not necessarily at LFCC, are saying, I don't want to get on a plane for another year because sure. the air in that plane is circulated. I can't risk it. So now you've got an American guest who are going, I don't know if I want to go to UK. UK guests are going, I don't know if I want to go to America. And that's going to break it down. And I think what you're going to find is American conventions will be local American uh, creative teams. You know, so if you're in San Diego, it'll be a lot of West Coast. You know, if you're in New York, it'll be a lot of East Coast. If you're in the UK, well, you know, we're, we're tiny. So, it, you know, you can drive everywhere in a few hours. But it will be, you know, you won't get that many international people. You won't get um, the Italians or the Romanians or things like that. And I think that will become very interesting because I think a lot of the, because in the UK, we have small conventions every week. And I think that will become, the small conventions will become where people go because there's less people, there's less needs to social distance, and you're still going to get what you need out of those things. And I think that's possibly where we're going to start going. And the smaller conventions will do better than the bigger conventions. Fair enough. It's, it makes total I, sense I, what you're saying. I forgot what your question was, so I'm hoping that was... No, 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 no. That, you, that, that was, that, you, you, I mean, it kind of got there. Uh, that was, the, the back end, that was exactly where I was asking. So that's, um, that's great. And again, um, the comment from Solicitous Meg, I feel human nature is going to limit how many people stay away. Most fans will go if they can. If they don't, there will be others, at least big cons, ha cons happy to take their tickets. And uh, Dan Berry is pointing out uh, the small conventions like San Diego Comic Fest, but then again, he's a big fan of that particular show, so I can uh, understand. But no, I think it is those those shows which I think will uh, will thrive uh, over the course of uh, um, <clears throat> the, the, the future. Um, I want to kind of say thank you to you guys for joining us today and kind of wrap things up in a positive nature uh, by just thinking to thinking to a thinking to a positive uh, a, um, a positive of what we can see in the future. Um, I'm. I personally was hoping beyond hope that San Diego Comic-Con was going to be able to uh, find some way of running this year, possibly at the back end of the year. Um, but obviously that's uh, not, not the case. So we are now looking at 2021. Um, Gil, I mean, you were saying earlier that you can see uh, that um, our, our need as uh, fans to come together is going to overcome uh, the, the, the situation we're in. I, I think so, and I, I actually, the, Tony's uh, comment about smaller conventions got me thinking in terms of how you could sort of break up a big convention into small into small chunks. Um, and again, you wouldn't have the, the numbers that you have, and you can maybe do some overflow type of stuff with um, video and distance stuff. But um, I, I think, I think as somebody said it on here, uh, that human nature, uh, you know, we're going to want to get together. We're going to want to come. We're going to want to be the fans. are going to want to come out at some point um you know and after a year of this good gravy we're gonna really want to <laughs> be like seeing each other a lot so um so i suspect that we're we're, we're going to come back to it it's just a matter of how we ease back into it frankly uh and and the small adjustments that we'll make but uh but the, but the small the small convention ideas was an, was an interesting thing to sort of like start thinking in terms of just how you logistically take a a, a giant convention and chop it up um because that might that might be the way you have to do it at least for the foreseeable and one thing i want to say to as, as to keep a, a happy happy ending on my side well, <laughs> um one thing i have noticed and again as i said one of the great things is seeing the comic community looking out for each other and, and you know, no matter what size and that is something that is 
important for me because I mean, as I think I, I put along online this week, I mean, this week was my 17th anniversary of effectively getting into comics. It was my meetings at DC and Marvel was in April 2003. And, you know, and in those years, there have been times where, you know, you've seen a lot of dog eat dog and everyone against each other. And there's been you know, pettiness and things like that. As in everything, you always have that. And this 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 epidemic has basically just went has made people just go. Do you know what this? It's I'm too. It's too big for this shit to happen. You know, we've got to look at this. You're seeing a lot more people spending time. A lot more uh, creators are now reposting other creators and getting people seen. Uh, people who have got work are making sure that other people who don't have work are being you know being looked at. But on a creative point, I've had I had like three projects that I was doing that all got canned the moment this all went wrong. But in that in the last sort of three, four weeks, there have been projects that have been kind of on the burn or things have been discussed where I've had artists turn around saying, well, I'm actually bored. Do you want to play around and do something? <laughs> and I've gone, yeah, sure. And we've worked out ideas and I can guarantee you that's happening everywhere. So, you know, in a year's time, you're going to get what I call pandemic babies of your creative nature. You're going to get, you know, the next big saga, the next big wicked and divine, you know, all these big things that, you know, people know you're going to get the new lot because these guys are sitting at home bored and yeah. they don't want, more tiger king they want to do something else and they're going to sit down and, and hammer through new stuff and once it's all coming back to normal the you know the, the smaller uh press uh so you've said like you know you your lion forges your you know your your um your valiance after shock like yeah are suddenly you know after shocks like i have vault are suddenly going to go right we now need to have product and they're going to have people walking in and going not only have we got a pitch document for you here are the first three episodes and it's going to be a, a fast turnaround. And we're just going to get so much incredible stuff coming out in the next few years because of this. That's the good. That's the one good thing I take from this is the creative stuff that's going to hit. Can you see yourself going crowdfunding? No. No. I've, <laughs> I've, I've always been against crowdfunding on a personal level, um, mainly because I've had so many people I know who have done crowdfunding and it's fallen apart a bit and it's sort of landed bad on their shoulders um if a publisher i'm working for wants to crowdfund something that's fine by me you know but there's just an element of i uh, it's, it's, it's a tough one i've just seen too many people get bitten by it on a, on, a, on i'm not saying it's a bad thing or you know you're just begging or something like that. it's just a case of i've seen so many people who've gone i need you know five grand to make a book and they've made six and then by the time all the bills have come out and all the payments have not happened suddenly they're only on three grand but everybody who's booked has gone well we've paid you your money and you've said yeah, you know, where's our book where is it and i've seen people actually quit the business because of crowdfunding so um i don't if, if you're crowdfunding go for it and i try my best to fund as many as i can and, and advertise them but i i i wouldn't that said <laughs> <laughs> i've got an incredible project and i want to see it done and nobody wants to take it i am going to bloody crowdfund it <laughs> <laughs> And it's not for me it's for whoever it is like i'm julian nemeth who's an incredible artist he's just done criminal macabre with um with steve niles i've known him for a few years i met him in, in budapest when i was doing a lecture and we've got like three or four things we've gone wouldn't that be great if this happened or wouldn't that be great if this happened and there's going to be an element at one point where we're going to go look no one's going to no one's going to print this shit. we're going to have to do it ourselves <laughs> so yeah at that point i'll ignore what i said here and do something completely different fair enough <laughs> Uh, that's fine. We'll, we'll look forward to uh, the Indiegogo page going up um, in the uh, the foreseeable months. It's great to have the, you guys on. Thank you so much, Dee, for coming Thank on you. and talking to us. Gil, I know as I know you're former chair, but you are still active on Twitter. You do keep up to date, and certainly sharing with what's happening uh, in uh, San Diego and the California area. Where can people follow you online, and what you what you up to? 
It's uh, at Gil Cabrera, just like it says there, except no space uh, on Twitter. And that's where you get uh, as much of the sort of information that I'm getting and anything else that I feel like posting and sometimes posting too much. So I, I, try, I, I, I take a Twitter break every few days and then fail miserably at it. Yeah, well, thank I, you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much indeed for sharing that small protest outside of uh, um, oh the building last night in San Diego. Because uh, anger is an energy for me at the yeah. moment, and that provided me with a good couple of hours of blood up. Tony, where can people find you online? Um, I can be fed up. Well, I mean, basically, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, all as Mr. Tony Lee, M R T O N Y L E E. Uh, where people can find me. I am going to quickly use this as a shameless plug as well. Go because, for it. Um, anybody who does go on any of these will see that for today and tomorrow, um, because it's tomorrow's the anniversary of Bram Stoker's passing uh, for the last couple of days and the next couple of days, I'm actually giving away a free PDF of uh, Harker, which is my Dracula sequel. Uh, anyone can have it. There's no strings attached. It's purely I want people to be able to have something they can do while they're bored and in lockdown. If you've read Dracula, this is a, a great little sequel to it. Uh, if you go on um, onto a, on my Twitter or my Facebook, you can find it, and it's uh, easily downloadable. On Tuesday, uh, I've got a short film that's hitting YouTube, uh, which, again, was at, in festivals, and we've just said stick it out online. And every Friday on Facebook Live, I tell, I read uh, adapted stories of my graphic novels, uh, my children's ones, my bandit books. Oh, wow. I write them into prose stories, and I read them out so that kids at school can, you know, not at school, being homeschooled, can sort of look at them and read them and, and talk to them and stuff like that. So there are three things that you should totally go and do. Uh, if you follow me or, uh, you know, just even if you don't follow me, still do them anyway, because, you know, Len says you should. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although I think it's interesting if you are going to choose between uh, Tom Hardy reading children's stories on Jack and Nori or Tony Lee on Facebook Live, I'd go for Tony Lee all the time. There well, you, you can go. do both. You can do both. That's the joy of being stuck in 24 we 7. Have, we, this have is very very true. we have time. We have time. Excellent stuff. Guys, thank you very much indeed for coming on and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Excellent yeah. stuff. Thanks, thank you. And there you go. That's Tony and Gil. Um, we do have Carol who's joined in on um, uh, Periscope. Shout out to Gil's Bob Burgers t-shirt at Toddland. Uh, enjoyed this and all the info. Uh, so thank you very much indeed. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Gil and Tony for coming on. Um, just very quickly, I'm going to let you know about something that's happening on Wednesday. Tony did mention about uh, Rachel Smith, of which, like I say, I, I've been out and bought one. I got one of the... Uh, uh, the quarantine comics that she's currently running on um, uh, on all of the social medias. Um, as it happens, uh, we've been speaking to Rachel. She was on the show a couple of days, a couple of uh, episodes ago, and she turned around and said that she'd be more than happy to uh, for us to give away uh, two prints, uh, which we are going to do on Wednesday's show. So this Wednesday, we are going to be providing you with the opportunity to get yourself one of these. Let me just see if I can just bring this up on screen. Should be able to. There we go. She is allowing us to um, give away uh, two of these prints. Um, basically, you have to watch on Wednesday. It's a live giveaway. So do join us, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. Follow Rachel Smith on Twitter as well, twitter.com slash Rachel underscore. That's Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L. Uh, and do, do follow her along. Uh, she is a, a fantastic artist. The work that she's done with Quarantine Comics has just been uh, fantastic. And these two prints, which are the full-size um, 
color prints that she's doing. She's doing one a week. She's uh, providing two of them, and we're going to be giving those away on Wednesday. Looking forward to it. Right. Uh, what we do as well on our shows um, each and every episode is we do two features, our crowdfunding uh, spotlight, uh, where we showcase uh, a fantastic crowdfunding effort. And uh, I want to kind of uh, uh, show your attention to uh, this, which has caught my attention. This is the catch which is being put together by Steve Bryant and Ishmael Canals. Um, it's currently available on kickstarter.com. Uh, Kickstarter uh, the uh, URL is up there on the screen at the moment. Um, it's a Kickstarter which has only got a couple of days left, as far as I'm aware. Let me just uh, see if I can just uh, bring up the uh, the full details. I'm going to bring you some uh, of the uh, – uh, here we are – the uh, – the, a, a, a preview artwork that they've got up, but it is the final week. Um, they're looking for a goal of uh, £6,000. Uh, they're currently up to 5763 so really, really not far to go, but it's 70 hours left on this particular campaign. The book itself looks absolutely fantastic. It's a three-issue comic book miniseries written and lettered by Steve Bryant with art by Ishmael Canals, uh, colours by Miriala uh, uh, Gibral, and uh, edited by Chris Murren. And it is uh, the first of many miniseries they've got planned for this particular uh, uni uh, universe. Um, they have done a number of uh, previous campaigns in the past, done really well on Kickstarter, and uh, they're going to do uh, so much stuff with this, uh, especially considering the, uh, the various uh, stretch goals that they've got uh, lined up. It's absolutely incredible with the amount of uh, work that they're putting in. I mean, considering that uh, uh, there's a 250 deluxe uh, collector's box, which you have to scroll two pages worth to get all the way down with what you actually get hold of. It's absolutely phenomenal what you can actually get uh, uh, for your uh, bang for your buck on this one. But you can just start with an investment of uh, $2 and is... Uh, just an incredible um, looking uh, project, to be honest. The artwork is absolutely stunning. And uh, let me just uh, bring this up to a uh, full screen so we can all just uh, all dive in. Uh, it's just, it looks incredible. It's also been done in a multi um, uh, language as well because of uh, the artist uh, is uh, Spanish, wants to uh, bring out a, a Spanish version. So they're bringing out in both English and Spanish. And it's just absolutely gorgeous to look at. Um, I. Have been, I've, I've been following this for a while, and it's been great to see that this particular uh, uh, project is going to go as well as it's going to do. Like I say, it's 70 hours to, uh, left to go, so it's more than likely going to beat uh, its target, but I would heartily recommend checking it out. That is uh, The Catch by Steve, Steve Bryant. That's kickstarter.com slash projects. That number there, 3899994459 slash The Catch12. Do check that out, and uh, if you can throw any money to any creators, um, like we've uh, talked about on this particular uh, episode, it is a case of the uh, retailers doing um, uh, all they can to get the books out to uh, the uh, the fans out there. But at the end of the day, the creators are the ones that tell the story, and we have to support them as much as we possibly can. Now, the artist that I've uh, chosen for our cup of tea uh, artist of the day, admittedly, is not somebody new. Uh, we have, uh, uh, if you are a comics fan, you are aware of this person's work. I mean, I know that we did um, uh, Jim Lee a couple of episodes ago. Same kind of drill. Uh, this is not exactly a newcomer, but this is somebody whose artwork is uh, absolutely filling my t uh, social media feeds, and I've been thrilled to see them every time they've rolled around. John McRae, of course, um, great British artist. 
um, and has been uh, very much a case of uh, putting uh, some amazing work uh, throughout his career, 2000 AD, um, for uh, Marvel, for DC, uh, currently putting out a great book called Dead Eyes, which is being published by Image Comics. Do check out uh, that uh, the, the uh, Twitter feed. Like it and uh, see what he's coming up with. He's doing a lot of um, um, work in progress and putting a lot of sketches stuff up, stuff that he's done at conventions, um, commissions that he's been putting together. Uh, so just a real strong set of uh, his artwork and the variety of the artwork that he's been putting up as well, just absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's just been, yeah, it's just absolutely amazing to see these fantastic pieces of work. And like I say, he's putting these up on his Twitter feed. And any, this is what this uh, section is all about. Those people that are making your social media feed so much better and just absolutely looking uh, as best as it possibly can. This is John McRae, and you can follow him at twitter.com slash McRaeMan. That's M-C-C-R-E-A-M-A-N. And he is our cup of tea artist of the day. Absolutely stunning. Excellent stuff. So there you go, full uh, show. Very quickly then, uh, I think what we can do is just very quickly cover uh, the, uh, the news, of course, uh, that got announced uh, this week. Uh, this was, of course, San Diego Comic-Con uh, announcing that they would not be hosting uh, the show for this year and postponing it for uh, January 20, uh, July 20, uh, get the words right, July 22nd to 25th, 2021, for the first time in its history. In fact, let me just pull up the page, so at least then you can see it. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking, obviously, but it's responsible, and for me, it is the best decision that they've, uh, they've made, um, because at this point, it is such a precarious situation. Um, I ran a couple of um, tweets, which I'm going to bring up as well, which were the um, uh, the, the different um, uh, perspectives that people had on what uh, the actual um, you know show what the, the people are going to do in terms of their uh, refunding of tickets and whatever. So I'm going to see if I can uh, just bring that up as well. But very quickly, let's cover the uh, actual statement, uh, the uh, comment. Uh, from Comic-Con is, the current situation requires exceptional measures. For the first time in its 50-year history, San Diego Comic-Con, the organizers behind the annual pop culture celebration announced today with deep regret there'll be no Comic-Con 2020. Now, let's just go through a couple of the big uh, the headlines of those uh, of that particular uh, uh, announcement. Let's uh, just uh, bring this up here. Okay, the, the obvious uh, big news is the uh, uh, announcement of uh, individuals who purchase badges for Comic-Con 2020 will have the option to request a refund or transfer the badges to Comic-Con 2021. All 2020 badge holders uh, will receive an email within the next week with instructions on how to request a refund. Exhibitors for 2020 will also have the option to re request a refund or transfer their payments to 2021 and also receive an email within the next week with instructions on how to process their request. Now, um, I'm going to see, let me see if I can just bring this up because um, I want to try and uh, talk about the uh, the results of the uh, the polls that I, uh, I put up. Uh, I mean, it basically said, uh, a couple of things which uh, I kind of uh, uh, expected from everyone, which is the um, uh, the response of, here we go, let's uh, bring these up here. Da, 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 da. We're getting there, we're getting there, I'm finding them. 
Right, okay, let's bring up the, the Twitter feed as well. Right, so these were the uh, the tweets that I put out basically asking if anyone uh, wanted to uh, refund their badges. Uh, in, uh, the badge holders have the option to write for either a refund or a transfer. 90.4%, uh, so basically 9 out of 10 people saying they're going to be transferring. Um, then you had the uh, the uh, question, should Comic-Con hold a virtual online San Diego Comic-Con this July, ideally at the Comic-Con Museum? This was interesting, at 72%. I expected it more in line with uh, the kind of uh, the 90s. I thought it was going to be a, a, an overwhelming um, vote. But so two out of three people saying that um, it should, and then a third saying that it shouldn't be an online element this year, which I thought was very interesting. And then there was this, uh, which kind of like uh, re relates to what we were talking about uh, with today's uh, conversation. How does the current crisis and regional efforts to contain it make you feel about attending San Diego Comic-Con next July? 30% saying weary. 4.8% saying completely dissuaded. 65.1% saying wholly positive. Which kind of gives you that uh, real sense of where people are wanting the, the atmosphere to go in the aftermath of this whole pandemic. But at the end of the day, like we have said for numerous weeks, and what I think we're going to be saying for numerous weeks more, um, all of these numbers uh, may change if uh, things don't um, improve, if we don't see any kind of um, end to the pandemic, and if we don't have our um, rulers and uh, overlords make some drastic changes to uh, allow us to be all safe and healthy. Interesting uh, poll results, though, especially when it comes to the live virtual. We are seeing a whole bunch of virtual options that people have been putting out. But I think for myself, I have been put off by the whole bedroom and kind of kitchen sink um, aspect of it all. I wanted to see something, or I would like to see if San Diego Comic-Con was going to do something virtual. If they were going to do something online, that we would actually have something uh, of a more professional nature. So there we go. Um, into the Blue Mystic, go and look at the, at the picture that uh, San Diego Comic Fest just posted on um, Facebook. You cannot put something like that and not have me go and look. So bear with me a second. Let me see if I can uh, dig this up and see what they've uh, what they've said. Uh, bah, 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 bah. San Diego Comic Fest, what have they posted? Hope this is worth it now that you've uh, kind of got me to go to uh, Facebook. And it's taking its time to load. Okay, we'll uh, see if that uh, gets there. Um, Michael P quite rightly says there's no mention of press, but then again, this was only a brief, it's seven paragraphs, if that, uh, when it comes to uh, what the uh, uh, San Diego Comic Con put out there. Uh, no comment about press, and indeed we've got uh, Karma Savage, no comment about what pros are all about. I'm guessing it will automatically transfer to 2021, but how about pro application renewals? I am due this year. Uh, Solicitor Smeg, do you think there will be online sales of exclusives like with WonderCon? Someone also mentioned about the actual, um, the, the, the official um, t-shirts and hats and swag and stuff. Apparently all of this will have been made already. I think that's a little bit... Um, optimistic. I don't know if that would have actually been produced yet. Um, but um, we haven't had any official artwork. We've no idea what the actual, um, the, the, the way it would have done. But I can imagine there will be some kind of online sales, uh, some kind of content that uh, San Diego Comic Con will put together. But whether 
it will be um, worthwhile is something else. Uh, let me just, I want to find this post that uh, uh, I've been teased about. Um, our, oh, um, okay. Thank you very much indeed for sharing that. Um, it is a slightly odd picture of uh, our esteemed guest of honor, Bill Sienkiewicz. I am not going to share that on the screen. As <laughs> simple as that. Thank you very much indeed, Into the Moon, Mr. for sharing that with us. Go to San Diego Comic Fest on um, Facebook. If you want to see a side of Bill Sienkiewicz, which I don't think you ever imagined that you uh, uh, would have ever seen. So there we go. Um, we're 90 minutes in. Um, I, uh, I mean, let's just uh, think. Uh, I did mention uh, about uh, this. Uh, basically, I said that uh, our numbers tanked. It was a joke. It was a joke that, um, uh, yeah, I was I was putting up. Uh, but it was more a case of uh, at the half point uh, to half past six, uh, we did have a slight drop in numbers purely because people were checking this out. Um, of course, uh, Jim Lee has been leading the charge with uh, creators for comics, um, doing some incredible um, sketches, which he's doing 60 of over the course of uh, this month and next month, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and basically is just uh, at the moment uh, on his Twitter feed, uh, his Twitch uh, his channel, sorry, um, started, like I say, an hour ago. Um, he is doing a full-blown uh, sketch live on Twitch. He's answering questions, which he's always incredibly good to do uh, if you've ever been to his um, spotlight panels at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, yeah, well worth checking out. So stop watching this. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, but now head over to Jim Lee on Twitch to see the completion of this sketch. It looks absolutely incredible. I'm wondering if he's going to do a Superman, considering it was Superman's birthday uh, yesterday. But there we go. Is he drawing around a can? Okay, I'm curious to see what he's doing with that now. Uh, so I'm going to go and check this out. That's Jim Lee on Twitch at the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you very much indeed to Gil and, of course, to um, uh, Tony Lee for joining us. I'm going to bring this up uh, because um, I do want to share with you uh, that we are going to be having some more fantastic guests uh, coming on the Hangout um, this month. So we had Gil. Uh, see what I'm doing here. Uh, we had Gil and we had uh, Tony, but uh, this Wednesday uh, we're going to have a spotlight interview with um, Paul Jenkins, superstar artist. Uh, so do join in uh, with that. Interesting conversation, I suspect, next Sunday with IDW's um, own Chris Ryle, um, talking about the comics industry, where the future of the comics industry could be at the other end of this particular uh, pandemic. And then Wednesday, 29th of April, uh, certainly talking, about, I could imagine, about crowdfunding and the perspective of the independent artist, Billy Tukey, is going to be joining us. That's our guests. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. As always, please do support The Hangout at patreon.com slash EnglishmanSDCC. Follow me on Twitter at EnglishmanSDCC. And in course, let's just see if we can uh, see each other at conventions further down the line. I'd love to see you there. From myself, Len Sultana, and from my guests, take care. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.